from his other co-workers because there's, there's a curiosity there when it comes to Jesus. He displays a faith, and we see it even at the death of Jesus. So he comes to Jesus at night, and he asks him this question. Now, why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? Well, he doesn't want to, to face the criticism, the critique of the other Pharisees, the other religious leaders. He comes to Jesus and he starts out really by flattering Jesus. Again, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus, in verse 3, he completely ignores that. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus starts his response with truly, truly. Maybe if you're used to reading King James, you know it is verily, verily. This is something that Jesus said a lot in His ministry, a lot in His teaching. And this is a display of His authority above the other teachers of that day. What was common practice in this day, in biblical times, was religious leaders would have normally a mentor, especially young religious leaders. Jesus would be seen as a young man. He was in His early 30s. And so a young religious leader like a Pharisee would have a mentor, and when they would teach, they would attach their teaching to that higher authority. So, for example, Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a young man. He had a mentor, and scripturally we know that his mentor was Gamaliel, an older Pharisee, someone who showed wisdom in the book of Acts. And so Paul, or Saul, as he would teach, he would always attach his teaching to someone above him, a higher authority. Well, Jesus never did that. Jesus, whenever he would teach, he wouldn't attach it to some older Pharisee or some older mentor. He always told them and started his message, truly, truly. Why did Jesus do this? Well, he did this to display to the people then and to display to us that he has all the authority. There's not anyone else that he has to attach his name to. When Jesus teaches, when Jesus tells us something, we can trust it, we can believe it, because he has all the authority. And Jesus tells us here, truly, truly, you must be born again. You need a new beginning. Every one of us does. Every one of us, not just in this room, but outside of this room, needs a new beginning. And this morning, we're going to be reminded of that salvation. I've heard it said by Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said that we need to be reminded of the gospel daily because we forget it daily. And so this morning, I want to remind you, Christian, of this great salvation that you possess as you move into 2019. In my opinion, there's not a greater way to start the new year. To be reminded of what Jesus has done for you and how He has saved your life from what it was before. And so looking in Colossians chapter 2, if you'll look there, and really to be reminded of the greatness of our salvation, we must be reminded of where we were beforehand. So looking at Colossians 2, I think it describes it pretty clearly. Paul writes in Colossians verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He starts off here in verse 13, he says, And you were dead. Everyone say that word, dead. Very good. This is the description that Paul uses, not just in Colossians, but in other writings. Ephesians chapter 2. This should echo what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Paul says, And you were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked. Paul, to describe our spiritual state before Christ, he uses the description of a person that is worse off physically than they possibly can be. To, to be dead is to be the worst place possible. And Paul says spiritually, you weren't just sick, you weren't just bad, he says, you were dead. You were completely dead to God and dead to Christ. 
You're completely separated from Him. You were dead, not just bad. And we need to understand that Jesus had not just come to make bad people good, but He came to make dead people alive. He gives you new life, Christian. And Christian, He's already given you new life. Paul talking here in Colossians 2, he's using the past tense just like he does in Ephesians 2. There's value in knowing and remembering where we came from and where God has brought us now. What He has brought us to. He has taken dead enemies of God and given them life. Christian, He's given you life. He's not just given you a good life. He's not just given you a moral life. He's given you life itself. You must be born again. We understand that. You know, we describe people who aren't Christians as lost. That's not right. Now, we'll say it and I will say it again, but scripturally, that's not the way unbelievers are described. They're described as dead. They're described as completely separated from God, as bad as it can possibly get. You were dead. He says, though, you were dead, but even though you were dead, God made us alive. He's given you life having forgiven us all our trespasses, wiping the slate clean, starting over. He not only gives us life, but He forgives us. He cleanses us from our sins. Verse 14, if you look there in Colossians 2, He says, "...by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross." In this new life, we have forgiveness. The canceling of a debt is used here to describe our sin. Okay, this, this is an accounting term. Because of our sin, we literally owed a debt to God. And that debt would be paid in an eternity in hell. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is a verse that we use kind of on a Romans word, road to describe salvation to someone who is lost. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. I've explained it to our youth time and time again. You can work as hard as you can work. You can be as good as you can possibly be. And at the end of this life, the only thing that you will earn is death. Wages describe what we deserve. Wages describe what we earn, just like a job, just like a wage that you have. You have an hourly wage. You work the, the time. You get paid for that. Paul says in Romans 6, you live your life. You try to be good. All you're going to get in return is death. But that verse goes on in 6.23. It says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not something we work for. It's something that's been freely given. And that debt that was standing over us, that debt that we had because of our sin, this unpayable debt that we could do nothing with, Colossians 2.14 says that Jesus has canceled it. And understand, Jesus did not do something... He did not misuse this debt. He did not... He did not cover it up. He did not launder it. He did not extort it. He paid it. He paid it in full. There was no mishandling of this debt. It has been paid in full. So the account, the account of your sin that stood before God, that debt that you owed, Jesus came and He paid it in full. There's not a single thing that you owe on that debt, Christian. There's not a single thing you have to do to finish or continue earning your salvation. Jesus paid for it in full. He canceled it, and the price of it was very high. We know what the price was. It tells us here, verse 14, He canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that He who knew no sin became sin. He became the very object of God's wrath. He took on your sin, He took on my sin, and He took the punishment that we all deserve. Not just dying on the cross. Understand this. The, the, the suffering and the pain of the cross, that's one thing. 
The greatest suffering at the cross is the wrath that Jesus experienced on our behalf. He took the very wrath of God for you. The very wrath of God that you deserve, Jesus took on your account. He canceled the record of debt. Jesus himself paid the debt in full. There's no more work to be done on the account. There's no more owed that we must come up with. There's nothing else we have to do. It has been canceled out by the finished work on the cross. Christian, thank God that we have been saved by grace. Because Scripture is clear. There's not a single thing we can do to earn it. There's not a single thing we can do to finish the work. If it is left up to us, we're going to split hell wide open. Scripture is clear about this. Man, and that is why it's called the gospel, right? That's why it's called the good news. Because the bad news was we couldn't do anything about it. But the good news is Jesus did it for us. It is a grace that is free. It is a grace that is freely given. But understand something. It costs you something. We've, we've gotten into this, this kind of Christianity that teaches a free grace, but teaches a grace that doesn't change. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German scholar, he called this a cheap grace. A grace that we teach, a grace that we says that saves, but that doesn't change. Understand Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, the new things have come. How dare we teach a gospel that saves but doesn't change? How dare we teach a gospel that saves you from your sins but doesn't expect and doesn't demand change in your life? Not only does Christ bring a new life, but He brings a new lifestyle. He brings a new lifestyle. The great evangelist D.L. Moody, on return of one of his revivals, someone asked him, well, Reverend Moody, how many people were saved? And Reverend Moody, with a wise response, he said, I don't know, we'll see in six months. His response lines up straight with Scripture because D.L. Moody knew that true salvation changes people. True salvation demands a change in lifestyle. And Christian, when you come to know Christ, you're ready and willing. It's, it's, not, it's not a chore. It's not hard. You're ready to change and honor God with your lifestyle. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul knowing that people would take the free grace of God and twist it and, and use it as a license to sin, he says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, he says, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who've been saved to sin, died to sin, how can we still live in this lifestyle? We can't. You can't. I want you to imagine this morning that let's pretend, start over 11 o'clock, I'm nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Brother Jim's not here, as you know. No one's here. 11.30, 11.40 rolls around. Time for the sermon, and I'm still nowhere to be found. Our, our faithful chairman of the deacons, who's not in here, by the way. But anyway, there he is. I wasn't looking far enough. I just expected the worst out of you, Todd. I'm sorry. <laughs> But our faithful chairman of the deacon, let's pretend he came up here and said, I'm sorry, folks, I don't know where our, our preacher is. And as he's explaining this, I bust in through that door. My hair's more messed up than it normally is. Papers are flying all over the place. I come up here, I'm disheveled. I, I get a mic on and it's, it's everywhere. And I'm apologizing. I'm saying, I'm so, so sorry. You have to let me explain. I was on my way here this morning on Old Cameron Highway 112 coming from home and I got a flat tire. And I pulled over to the side and I was changing this flat tire. And when I was changing this flat tire, a lug nut rolled out into the middle of the road. And I just, I wasn't thinking. And so I ran out to the middle of the road. I grabbed the lug nut. And right at that moment, a big Mack truck just slammed right into me. I'm so sorry I'm late. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Would that be an adequate excuse? 
Would you accept that? You say, okay, we understand. No, you say, that's a terrible excuse. Because you can't get hit with something that big and not be different. Church, let me tell you something that's much bigger. Give it a second. All right. Let me tell you something that's much bigger than a Mack truck. And that's Jesus. You cannot get hit with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You cannot have faith in Jesus and not be changed. You can't be hit with Jesus and not live a different life. It doesn't make sense biblically, and it doesn't make sense with a true biblical Christianity. Jesus changes. And Christian, thank God He changes us. Amen? I don't want to go back to that old life. Do you? Do you want to go back to the way things were? Do you want to continue living the way things were? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But see, we not only need to be reminded of this salvation that we have, but we need to be reminded so that we are willing to take this salvation to others. Do you still believe that Jesus is in the business of bringing salvation to other people? I do. As long as Jesus tarries His second coming, there are people out there who need Him. We just talked about, and we've been talking about this, IMB mission giving. That's the whole point of our IMB as Southern Baptists, to take the gospel to people who have never had it. Why do we give? Why do we go? Why do we do these things? Because we believe, we believe that there are still people who need Jesus. Understanding that it is the grace and power of God that brings us salvation leads us to two undeniable conclusions. The first one is we bring nothing to salvation. The only contribution you make to your salvation is the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. That's it. That's it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul says, What of our boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. We can't boast, we can't brag about this salvation because we had nothing to do with it. That's the first undeniable truth. The second one is that because it rests on the power of God, anyone can be saved because there is no limit to the saving power of Jesus. There's no limit to His power. There's no limit to His salvation that can, that can save anybody. But just completely being honest with you this morning, I think sometimes we think that there is a limit. I think sometimes we see people in, in terrible states in their life and we think, well, they're just too dead for Jesus. In Scripture, they're dead and their sins are separated. They're just, they're just too dead. We just don't think Jesus can do anything in their life. We just don't think that Jesus can save them. Maybe we don't say that, right? God forbid we would never say that. Is that how we act? Is that how we look at certain people? Do we think, man, there's just a limit to the power that Jesus has? There are three examples that show us the truth that Jesus can save anybody, and it's found in the Gospels. Mark chapter 5, we see this story, this event. I hate saying story. It's an event, it's a real-life event that actually happened. It's historical. Jesus is approached by the ruler of the synagogue who says his daughter is sick. And then in the middle of Jesus going through the crowd, someone comes up to the ruler and says, don't, don't bother Jesus anymore, she's, she's passed away. Uh, chapter 5, verse 38, we pick up there and it says, They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. 
And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The second example of Jesus bringing someone back to life is in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. The widow's son. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, speaking of Jesus, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of this town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the casket, and the bearer stood still, and he said, to, and he said Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And then the final example, one that we all probably know, is John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. We see, and we're going to jump around a little bit, verse 21 starting, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. We jump to verse 32. Now when Mary, so we just seen Martha, Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And jumping to verse 41, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus' miracles and his ministry, it accomplished two things. One, it confirmed that he, he is the Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says that he is declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. We know that Jesus is, is the Christ. We know that he's the Messiah because of the miracles and the things that he did. The second thing is that it points us to a greater spiritual truth. The, the end of this matter was not just bringing them back to life. Because sadly, these three people, they had to die again. However long they lived after this, they maybe lived a long, much longer life, we don't know. But at some point, they had to go through physical death again. So that was not the end of it. There is something greater here that we need to talk about. And so we're going to talk about, real quickly, the common theme among these three events. The first one is that all three suffered from the same problem. They were dead. They were dead. Life had gone out. They had passed away. But they looked different, didn't they? The little girl, she had just passed. The little girl had just passed away. She would still have the appearance of life, although she was dead. Although there was no life, although there was no hope, she had just passed. She would probably still have color. She would probably still have warmth. But she was still dead. The widow's son... There had been some time since his death. The body had went through the proper ceremony for cleansing and was in the funeral process. Although it would not have been a long time since his death, there would be signs to it. You'd be able to look and say there's something wrong. It'd be cold. There'd be a loss of color. And then finally, Lazarus. He'd been dead four days. And what did they say to Jesus to try and stop him from removing the stone? Well, if you have the King James, they said, He stinketh. Right? He smells. They knew the same thing that we do. Someone who had been dead that long, the process after death had already begun and was well on its way. There was much more evidence of death. 
That's the first common theme. The second common theme, though, is that Jesus had no problem raising any of them. Jesus had no issue bringing them back to life. Despite their circumstances or the length of time since their passing, we don't see Jesus break a sweat. We don't see that He has to talk longer to Lazarus. We don't see that He has to do anything else. He simply speaks a word and they rose fully to life, fully restored to life. Jesus spoke and they lived. didn't matter how long they had been dead. It didn't matter that the effects of death had taken, taken hold on some of them more so than others. It didn't matter. The only thing that matters is that Jesus spoke to them and they rose. And the third thing that we see that's common among these three events is the hopelessness of the people. The little girl who had passed, they laughed at Jesus for disagreeing about the state of the little girl. The widow's son, the funeral was already in progress. There was always a ho- already a hopelessness there. And also, we need to see that this was a widow's son. Back in this day, she she had already lost her husband at some point. Now she had lost her only son. She was not just alone, but she had no one there to support, no one there to take care of her. There was a hopelessness there. And then finally with Lazarus. The sight of Jesus brought hope to Martha for the resurrection to come, but to no one else. There was even an attempt, and we didn't read these scriptures, but there was even an attempt to stop Jesus from moving the stone. They tried to stop Him from doing that. Luke chapter 7, verse 22 alludes to Jesus raising more people from the dead. More than likely, these weren't the only people that Jesus and His ministry brought back to life. There were other people. There were other examples. So why are these three recorded in such detail? Well, to teach us a lesson. To teach us something about those who might be lost and those who are dead in their sin. And that is that there is no one who is too dead for Jesus. There is no one who is too far gone that they cannot be saved by the saving power and the grace of of God. And church each year presents new opportunities. Not just not just for this church but for you individually. As you go out to your work, as you go out to your family, it provides new opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with others. As we look to the new year, we should be thinking more so about that than anything else. How can we share the gospel with others? How can we provide new opportunities in our community, in our church to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. Knowing the power of God should give all of us a boldness to go and to spread that gospel to others because we know there's not anyone who's too far gone. There's not anyone who is too dead for Jesus. Not anybody. Church, if He gave you life, if you have been born again in Jesus, knowing Scripture, reading Scripture, you should know that He can give anyone who believes new life. Anyone in this community, anyone sitting in this church, it doesn't matter. Christ has the power to raise anybody. Church, in 2019, as you minister to those around you, whether it be a ministry in this church, Awana's youth, whatever it may be, somewhere outside of this church, at your jobs, people who don't know Christ, don't look at the circumstance of their situation. Don't look at how bad they may look to you. Don't look at their circumstances, but instead remember the power of your Savior. Remember the power of Jesus that He can save and bring to life anybody. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this morning. God, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, that we know that, that God, it doesn't matter who out there in our eyes may be too far, God, may be too far gone. Lord, we know that the saving power of Jesus, it can reach down to anybody. God, I pray 
that each and every one of us in here would, would believe that, would trust that. And God, that you would be with us as we move into 2019. God, to share the gospel with those people around us who need it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything you've given to us. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. If you would, stand with us.